But I had this shift to start understanding the distinction between empathy and sympathy. And the big distinction here is that when we do empathy is like empathy and sympathy is self-pathy. Welcome to the Emotional Intelligence Podcast, a podcast where we explore the intersection of emotional intelligence and leadership. And whether you're a seasoned executive or just starting out in your leadership journey, we're going to share practical tips, inspiring stories, and expert insights to help you develop your emotional intelligence and achieve your goals. So sit back, relax, and get ready to take your leadership skills to the next level. I'm Ismail. And I'm Samir. We are thrilled to have with us a very special guest today, Bill Carson, all the way from Australia, Sydney, Australia. Bill Carson is a passionate mental health advocate. He speaks uh, from his lived experience of mental health challenges of depression, anxiety, and addictions for over 30 years. Bill experienced childhood traumas of major heart surgery at the age of four, death of his father at five, domestic violence during his teen years, and major illness of his first wife. In 2016, Bill healed himself of anxiety, depression, and suicidal thoughts and began his journey as a mental health advocate. He's committed to giving back, and he currently volunteers his time as a lifeline telephone crisis supporter and trains leaders and managers in various industry sectors on mental health first aid. Bill has additional qualifications in as a resilience coach, emotional and social intelligence coach, and a well-being coach. He is an extremely experienced gentleman. We are so proud to have him on the show today. Welcome, Bill. Thank you for joining us. Thank you very much, Samir, and also Ishmael. It's a, it's a real pleasure to be with you guys. I love love you, love your work. Thanks for uh, uh, lending us your time. I know it's uh, the afternoon for you, evening for us. Um, so we really appreciate uh, you taking the time and coordinating with us, you know, our worldwide schedules. But, you know, maybe to start, you can help us and help the audience get to know you a little bit better and give a little bit of background about yourself and the work that you do. Yep. Probably starting from the present and then working backwards. So these days I, I do a lot of work with organizations in the whole psychosocial safety area, the mental health safety area. A particular workshop I do a lot of work with organizations around is called Safe Conversation Skills, teaching leaders, managers how to actually have those safe conversations when they notice that someone might be struggling and how to actually have a person-centered conversation as distinct from a manager brain task conversation. And then, you know, and we can talk about this later on in a, in a way that's really appropriate uh, and, and relevant and helpful, very helpful for the individual. Uh, as well as that, uh, a lot of mental health first aid workshops. I've run over 200, close to 250 mental health first aid workshops uh, here in Australia. Uh, and... Um, Got, on, got into this work, um, as, as Samir mentioned, I, I went through a tough time in 2014-15, came out of it in 2016 and decided to give my gifts back to others and to do Lifeline volunteer telephone crisis support. Uh, and since then, I've that's nearly seven years, so it's nearly close to about 700 hours 
And then about a few months after starting that, a very close friend of mine reached out and asked if I would help him to uh, deliver a mental health first aid workshops. So I got trained up as an instructor. Uh, he had uh, a contract where he needed uh, quite a bit of assistance around that. And it's predominantly through that work that I really, in working with a lot of managers, really got to see how incredibly important it is for managers to be able to have this expanded skill set. Um, what manager brain is normally trained to do is to, you know, solve problems and to, um, you know, get outcomes and, you know, make sure that resources are, are handled most appropriately, uh, scheduling processes, etc. Whereas when uh, having a conversation with a team member who might be, you know, struggling with stuff that we all have from time to time, then they're going to turn off manager brain and connect into a person-centered brain. Uh, and, and that's a whole different skill set uh, that a lot of managers don't know how to do, don't feel comfortable with. And it totally aligns with all of your work around emotional intelligence. And it's a very high alignment to that. Uh, and prior to that, I've done a lot of work in, in corporate education um, and uh, with leadership uh, training and and sales and negotiations, customer service um, presentation skills. We're super excited to kind of delve into, you know, your experience. Uh, some of the things that we're hoping to, to talk about today are, you know, how employers can meet the demands of today's workforce. And, you know, you, you had mentioned some of the, the topics or the tips in terms of uh, upskilling for psychological risk management. And maybe you can share some practical ways that leaders can, uh, you know, implement mental health first aid. You talked about mental health first aid into their own leadership approach. Absolutely. So one of the ways to kind of put a broader uh, uh, perspective, um, contextual kind of lens, um, and some, some very recent work from the Gallup organisation uh, looking at um, uh, essentially engagement all around the world in, in workplaces Essentially, they identify sort of three major categories of the way people are showing up. Uh, there is this uh, group around the 20 to 25%, 30% of people, depending on location, that are thriving. And then there's this, you know, if we look at a sort of a bell curve, there's this uh, pretty significant group in the middle that around about the, you know, say 50 to 60% that what they call quietly quitting uh, what I call is that they're stressing and coping. And then the uh, 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 tail group, the third group, are um, it's it varies between, say, 10 and 25% of people who are what they call loudly quitting or actively disengaged. And one of the things that I've interested that, that really started to draw my attention, particularly when I was doing the mental health, you know, particularly in doing the mental health first aid work, is I could see that that number where people are in a sense actively disengaged is very similar to numbers that we talk about in the workshop around which it happens in Australia that about 20% of people are experiencing diagnosable mental health challenges significant mental health challenges mental illness and I kind of so, hey, look, there's a, an overlap here. There's a correspondence of, of the numbers specifically. 
And so if you, if you just think about it, if someone's struggling uh, with mental health challenges in some specific kind of way and it's really quite difficult for them, then they're not going to be, you know, really actively engaged, you know, at work. Work work's pretty tough for them. Uh, and, um, and then so the capacity of managers to be able to notice the different ways in which their people are showing up and then to be able to have those skills uh, is, is really, really important. Uh, so what Mental Health First Aid does in, in Australia and it's, and it's available in, uh, in, in America um, or in quite a lot of countries around the world, actually, it's a fantastic Australian success story because it originated out of Australia. It's now in about 23 different countries, 17 languages, where um, you know, people in, in each country can, can access mental health first aid. So you, you Google that you know, appropriately in your own country. And it's generally a 12-hour uh, program that you know teaches people and managers specifically kind of some degree of detail around sort of noticing the signs where someone might be struggling specifically with anxiety, depression, um, bipolar disorders, etc. And then also covers where someone could be really quite unwell uh, and struggling with psychosis and or um, non-suicidal self-injury or um, suicidal thoughts. So teaching actually how to uh, have the conversation when someone is, is, is really, really struggling. So what the um, three-hour safe conversation skills workshop that I run does essentially shortens that down. So because not every manager necessarily needs to get accredited. I mean, if they want to, then that's fantastic. But normally what uh, I find that they need to do is to be able to notice the skills where, sort of notice where someone might be struggling and then to be able to very gently, appropriately uh, connect in and have an appropriate conversation with them. So, Bill, you know, I think you bring up a great point, right? That first piece is noticing how people are showing up at work, right? And and I think that in the spin of the day-to-day grind, something that managers really struggle with is is paying attention and noticing how their team is feeling. And so from your uh, research and workshops, what are you seeing as some uh, signs of psychological or emotional stress? Yep. Uh, uh, Great question there, Samir. So one of the fundamental ways of understanding this is to understand our stress reaction. Okay. So you know, typically we, we all know the typical stress reaction of the three Fs, fight, flight, freeze. There's probably other Fs, but we won't go there. And uh, the, the big distinction that I kind of help people to understand is normally if the three Fs are talked about is, is from a physical survival perspective, you know, we'd, we'd run away from, you know, predators and stuff like that. The thing that we've got to understand is that we're highly evolved social beings. So what happens is an example I talk about in a workshop. Imagine you're driving along in a on a Chicago road highway or whatever, <clears throat> and someone cuts you off. And in that moment, you'll hit the anchors to physically protect yourself. But here's what we do as humans: we take it to a whole other level socially, which is, uh, "How dare you do that to me?" A variation on that thing. And and so what happens with those of us who have a a, uh, a default 
uh, um, pattern of externalizing our stress reaction, we go into blame, we attack, we criticize, we judge. You, you shouldn't have done that. You should have got that done. Uh, in, in, the, in the home situation, you know, look what you made me do. So you have this whole blame. And then the people who internalize their stress reaction, they will criticize and attack themselves. So the really important uh, awareness here is when we notice the signs. So when someone is being more angry, more frustrated, more grumpy, or when someone is being more internalizing, more withdrawn, etc., then this is indicative that that person is in some form of stress reaction and that they need then the self-awareness to notice and all the support to help them move out of their stress reaction to reconnect with their functional brain and be more effective. So if a leader or a manager uh, sees these type of signs, I mean, w- what would you suggest or how? what have you seen people do in terms of conversations to help these folks along? Very, very good question. So one of the really important themes that's certainly happening in Australia and over time it's going to happen all around the world is Fundamentally, what happens right now is if there is no awareness around mental health safety in a workplace, what will happen is when someone is struggling with some stuff that's going on for them personally, and we've all been there, you know, it's like um, someone close to you is either unwell, a parent is unwell, someone close to you, you know, dies, or, you know, there's something that impacts on us emotionally that impacts on our ability to just be fully present, fully engaged, fully committed to work because there's, you know, something that's impacting us. So what happens is when these things happen, it, 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 it impacts our performance. Now, in the, in the presence of no mental health safety, no radar, no awareness of, of this humanness that's happening to this person, what we do is we see low performance, bad person, and then they get performance managed. And and for a lot of managers, they kind of, if they've got a really strong sort of manager brain, task brain, their attitude is, look, I don't care about your personal stuff, just like show up and do your job. And this is kind of what you guys are talking about in terms of raising the emotional intelligence, emotional awareness of where someone might be um, struggling. So the, the, the theme that I teach is, First of all, to be noticing uh, where, where someone might be struggling and then to be willing to enter into the conversation. And so the Safe Conversation Skills Workshop, for example, is an acronym for SAFE, so self-awareness, uh, acknowledge and ask, then focus on listening and then empower. So there's a, there's a whole uh, uh, skill set there. The starting point is self-awareness so that you as a manager need to be aware okay how, how am I reacting to this and so if you're reacting you need to settle yourself down and, and connect in with the person and then uh, through, th- through what I teach is the distinction about how do you have the conversation in such a way that you're actually engaging the person to develop their own self-awareness for their situation so that the day will take ideally personal responsibility to do what they need to do. (laughs) 
what is your business case or, or what's the case that you're able to make for companies or individuals to say, hey, here's why you should be doing more of this? I mean, I think it's easy for people to, if they're inviting you and they want you, that's the easy, those are the easy, low hanging fruit companies. But what are you saying to those companies that might be resistant? Uh, it, it's an interesting thing, again, that what I'm noticing with the businesses that actually are en- engaging me in doing this work, they're in a sense proactive. They're on the, on the leading edge. So, for example, I, I mentioned to you guys that so, so there's a whole new global standard called ISO 45003. Uh, for psychosocial hazards and risks in the workplace. So it's all it's all across the world because this is a problem that's been, it's everywhere. And now in Australia, uh, that legislation or that standard is now being integrated and becoming law. So it's actually, you know, you have to do it. So one of the ways to do it is fundamentally, so, so mental health safety is like physical safety. So if you were in a factory, uh, what would you do to improve the safety? First of all, you do an audit. You kind of go around look at all the hazards, and then you actually then will then start working on reducing those hazards and the risks associated with the hazards. It's exactly the same in in this situation as well. So there's a in Australia there's a uh, a free uh, audit process called People at Work, and uh, I was just talking with um, a prospective client a couple of days ago. Her team have done the people at work survey and generally have come out pretty good uh, with a lot of green, uh, very few yellows and reds. And what what she wants to do is upskill the uh, leadership team and the whole organisation. In this case, it's not a huge, it's only uh, 30 people, to be able to stay proactive uh, regarding their mental health safety, their psychosocial safety, and upskill the managers to be able to have these uh, skills, to be able to notice where someone might be struggling, and then to be able to have the conversations. Is this all organizations are going to be forced to have to go through this standard? Yeah. And and it's really scary for a lot of bosses because the the big call out is there, there, there's 14 psychosocial hazards that have been identified. And, and one of them, or the main one, is excessive work demands. So here's the fundamental reason, kind of why at some level why it's being done. Uh, and it comes a little bit back to your question, Ismail, about you know what's the business case. So in a, in Australia, in, in particularly one of the uh, specific states of Australia called State of New South Wales, um, they've they've got data that shows the the shift from. 2014-15, that period, to 2018-19, I think it is, around a five-year period. And in that five-year period, the, the number of psychological injuries absolutely skyrocketed. And what they've been finding is that what happens with psychological injuries is that the, the cost of those is four times physical injuries, uh, up around the eighty to 100000 Australian dollars, and the same, and 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 a four times length of time uh, as well. And a lot of these psychological injuries are actually occurring because bosses 
are either it's either bosses and or co-workers uh, victimizing, harassing, sexually harassing, or violence. And so this is a major, major piece of work all over the world to stop this behavior. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. We hope you're enjoying the episode so far. If you want to stay updated on all the latest content and behind the scenes action, be sure to follow us on social media. You can find us on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and several other places by using the link in the show notes. And if it's not too much trouble, we'd love for you to leave a review and share this episode with some of your friends. Your support means everything to us, and we can't wait to connect with you online. Now, let's get back to the show. I find it fascinating. You talk about the manager brain and how the managers are their task doers, right? But them also taking that additional leap to understand that if your team is physically healthy and mentally healthy, production goes up, right? And so psycho like when we psychological safety of the team, emotional health of the team, such critical factors in increasing productivity. But the education around mental health in general is lacking, right? Especially when we look at potentially the older generation who is more of just, hey guys, just stick it out, gut it out. What's mental health issues? They believe it's taboo to talk about potentially culturally. Some folks struggle more than others with talking about mental health. So is there a baseline understanding or lack of understanding that you're seeing with leaders on just what mental health issues contain or pertain to is that a challenge just like staring us right in the face right like people don't even understand what mental health issues are before we can get to the next piece which is how to have mental health conversations safely yeah that 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 beginning piece uh samir is so important around the awareness yeah there's a, a consistent need all across the world for us to sort of come out of the dark ages in terms of just our humanity. <laughs> and uh, and what I mean by that is, like, I remember uh, when I was younger uh, with cancer, like, don't mention cancer, Uncle Jack's got cancer. You know, we're really secretive about it. Like, oh, you know, freaking out about, you know, this this thing called cancer. Nowadays we talk about it. You know, it's, it's, it's not easy. It's a difficult uh, uh, disease and challenge. But we talk about it, you know, prostate, ovarian, blah, 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 blah. you know, we, we, we cover it all. We open up, we talk about it. We're not all secret and fearful of it. So the same thing needs, needs to happen with the whole kind of mental and emotional health. And, you know, it's quite interesting that we separate mental and emotional, like whoever has a thought without feelings. <laughs> very true. Like, yeah, I'm good. Like, very you know, true. Like, yeah. Your whole world, you're doing all this kind of emotion, emotional stuff here, which needs to be blended. The two go together. And one of my thoughts is that because I'm, I'm just kind of because we struggle with with connecting with our feelings, and because it's sort of pretty patriarchal kind of thing then we, we just have this kind of suppression. We don't open up and talk about our feelings. Uh, and um, we sort of, okay, we, so we call it all, you know, mental. And, and it's so important that we, that we do. And, and I find that when managers 
um, just learn the fundamentals and they just kind of notice the, the, you know, the signs and the struggles that someone might be going through, then they, it sort of takes the, the, the blinders off and then they can still start to be far more self-aware. And so as a way of sort of just really simplistic it, uh, simplistically understanding this stuff because the psychological profession tends to kind of over-medicalise and um, um, pathologise to, to some degree, but, but, but it's understandable. But if you kind of just think about it, like we all get anxious we, 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 within the, when there's a degree of uncertainty. So like I'm coming on to this podcast and it's like, oh, you know, there's a little bit of uncertainty. And there would have been some uh, on, on your side as well to agree maybe. So one of the things I teach is that it's, it's when there's duration, impact and severity associated with our mental emotional challenges that can tend to uh, take it from just, you know, a kind of a, a frustrating thing we're dealing with to something that's more complicated. And you know, one of the things I teach is the brain's just another body part. So if you've got a pain in your tummy and it progressively gets worse with duration and impact and severity, then you might eventually have to go and see the doctor. So if symptoms persist, please see your uh, healthcare professional. And and the, on the other side, there's a lot of um, grief and sadness and, and um, you know, and then depression that we experience when we lose someone really close to us, you know, like in my case, losing my dad, um, uh, later on losing, you know, a sense of identity where, you know, uni, what am I doing with my life? Um, when I kind of some work situations, they, they you know, they didn't go very well. Um, I took a lot of responsibility for that and, you know, I felt really because I've got an internalising style, so, you know, I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy, and then just go into that, that black hole of horrible thoughts, feelings and pain. So, um, you know, we have these challenges on, on the surface level, you know, we can work through it. This is why self-care is so incredibly important and being aware of that, looking after ourselves emotionally. Uh, as you guys really teach. Um, but if symptoms persist and it's starting to impact on our work, on, on our relationships, then it's really important to get professional help and support. Bill, you have a book that you've recently published, uh, Safe Conversations for Work and Life. Tell us about that book and, and what what we uh, our listeners have to gain from from getting their hands on this book. You could say it's essentially it's a uh, essentially a book version of the Safe Conversation Skills Workshop, um, and but as an initial read for for a reader, it's to start to understand how to develop that awareness and that and, and those um, capabilities. So it gives a reader an introduction into understanding what might be the signs that you'd be looking for, you know, what might be the indicators. And the reason why the title refers to Safe Conversations for Work and Life is because these things show up um, in, a, in a life context as well, you know, our, our partner, our children, uh, friends, family members and things like that. And then uh, that the, 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 the teaching or the, what's in the book is, is then guiding them through the, the, the methodology of safe self-awareness, uh, awareness and acknowledging others, um, 
um, focus on listening and then the empowering. To get that book, it's available on Amazon. Um, is there any other places that folks can visit to learn more about your your publications, your work, uh, perhaps your website, um, social medias that you'd want to bring up for us? And, and obviously, we'll link to all of that in our show notes, but give you an opportunity to plug it as well. Yeah, thank you. Uh, yes, uh, certainly the book's available on Amazon and um, uh, Booktopia and, you know, major uh, book suppliers, both in a physical format and also in an ebook format as well. Uh, and uh, my website, inspirelearning.au, uh, provides a whole bunch of additional resources as well. And I've got additional um, online programs as well as the, you know, the corporate work that I do. And I can do that corporate work you know, just as we're having a conversation now, we're on opposite sides of the planet, then we can, I can do that as, as well, wherever the need arises. Because I'm pretty committed to that, this, because I think, you know, managers, I was listening to Simon uh, Sinek yesterday, and he's really committed uh, to make a difference in the lives of leaders. And, and I, for the fact that they make a difference in people's lives. And, and I know you guys uh, are along these lines as well. You know, I, I really respect uh, Samir and the conversations that we have, you know, they vary from obviously very tactical business conversations, but really the, uh, the, the real essence of our relationship happens to be around this sort of topic and also just being there for each other. You, you know, we rarely find someone who can be, who understands you f- by way of having felt these things themselves. And it's just really nice. Like you can kind of sputter along in a conversation. Like I'm feeling kind of, uh, we, and Samir's like, I know exactly what you mean. Don't even worry. I know what you mean. You know, and I haven't even finished the sentence. He's like, I got you. I got you. Yeah, the, the, the this is part of, uh, you know, I think it's an incredibly important um, evolution for us as humans, uh, particularly for us as males, about this whole capacity to feel feelings and to be able to validate, respect, you know, share. So you, you two guys are in a really nice place where you can express your feelings and you're not being invalidated, you're not being hurt, you're not being, oh, that's bloody ridiculous, don't talk, you know. And one of the things that I've learned, this is one of the reasons why I'm really uh, focusing on what I call emotional fitness specifically, is because the thing that I've learned with uh, with Lifeline is that um, uh, when we experience really difficult uh, situations and you know that's part and parcel of lifeline um what we have to do at lifeline what uh, what's really encouraged is is self-care now the way in which that'll work so if i have a caller that's you know been emotionally triggering or did i handle it the most appropriate way technically um uh, doesn't happen much these days but in the earlier days so i can take the headset off i can go into the next room and i debrief with supervisor now what i've found is by being able to just talk about my feelings and be validated and be listened to and heard and you know, get some insight, I've actually got emotionally stronger and I can handle increasingly complex emotional situations. And this is what I think is incredibly important all over the world and particularly for first responders. Uh, a lot of what, I, uh, I, you know, I was running a workshop some time ago and, and there was an ex-policeman and, and he said, we can never talk about our feelings. You had to shut it down like they saw some really difficult stuff. Never talk about it. And the fear is that, oh, if we talk about feelings, well, everyone will get soft. No. 
when we talk about feelings, everyone can get stronger emotionally. And then and then we get more emotionally regulated. And then we get, you know, so we're not so crazy, crazy people. I want to just briefly explore, you know, the connection between this lifeline work that you do and how it can be related to like a manager in the workforce and how they can apply some of those similar skills to, uh, you know, looking after or mental health first aid for their employees? Like, is there a correlation between those two? If we think of Lifeline, for example, in in a hierarchy, at the really uh, top end, and this is, you know, pretty true and imagine a lot of environments, there's there's people who are really, really unwell. Down from that is some people who, who are like really struggling going through, you know, difficult stuff and the suicidal thoughts are kicking in pretty regularly. And then, and then there's there's a lot of people who are regular callers, you know, needing and wanting someone to talk to. But I had this shift to start understanding the distinction between empathy and sympathy. And the big distinction here is that when we do empathy, is like thempathy, and sympathy is selfpathy. It's, it's subtle, um, and and pathy is. Um, uh, so the Greek word pathos is feelings, uh, so them feelings uh, or self uh, feelings. So what I was noticing was that I was coming from a place of, in a sense, sympathy, self feelings, because I was sort of stressed by what I was hearing and, and, and not feeling that I could really solve the problem. So when I shifted to empathy and their feelings, my whole focus shifted so the headset's on a caller comes in and i'm just listening just being really present with this person's pain and some people are in like so much pain like they're like 15 minutes you know just talking away so being really present with them and their their pain uh, and their situation then just taught me that you know people you know want want you know, want to need that space and time. And then then what I would do as I'm listening, I would then reflect back something that, in a sense, what I'm aiming to give every caller is, is, is a gift uh, around something that they don't appre- or understand or appreciate about themselves that, you know, I can reflect back to them. And this is where the E of empower and then the safe uh, framework uh, comes in. Is you don't do something patronising, saying, "Oh, come on, submit. You you can do it. You're you know good bloke." You don't do something patronising like that. You say, "Look, you know, I'd be noticing." And so, just say, in that example, you know, for both of you, really, you know, I'm just reflecting back. You know, your sensitivity, your awareness, your and and let's say if Samir was really worried about, I don't know, I'm just going to make this up. Worried about his dad, and I'd say, "Look, you're a really caring guy," and you know, just, just, I'd really encourage, and you guys were touching on this, how, how you actually just emotionally manage yourself as, as you're giving that care for your father. Uh, what other support are you getting? Um, how, how else can you be supported through, through giving of that care? Because if you deplete yourself by too much care in that instance, then you're not being energized to be able to, you know, look after your dad and do your job. Yeah. You know, uh, so, so it takes a lot of awareness, a lot of sophistication. It's a lot of kind of what you guys are teaching as well is around building this emotional intelligence, this capacity to see the feelings and to strengthen those in the individual, support them. 
and make it safe to, to do that. I love that distinction you made around the empathy, like empathy and giving somebody a gift. Because when they're when people are emotionally stressed, they the last thing they can really do is reflect on potentially a positive trait, right, or or something that is actually uh, going right or something they're doing well. And so that might be all they need to hear to to get engagement back. Bill, I, I just, I really wanted to thank you for everything that you shared with us uh, today. I mean, I definitely, there's some nuggets that I've, I'm going to, I have in my back pocket now, and I think I feel like I have some thinking I need to do. And uh, we really look forward to, you know, this podcast, the feedback that we get. Um, and you know what? Uh, we'd love to have you on again and and hear back from you. Absolutely. Yeah. We really enjoyed having you on. And as Ismail said, we would love to have you back. Uh, and thank you so much for sharing your thoughts and, and insights. And we look forward to uh, learning more about you through your book. Uh, and so we'll we'll connect there. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of the Emotional Intelligence Podcast. We hope you found it informative and enjoyable. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. And if you have a moment, we'd really appreciate it if you could leave a review on your favorite platform. Your feedback helps us improve and reach more people. If you're interested in learning more about the topics we discussed today, be sure to check out the show notes for links and resources. You can find them by visiting our website. And if you have any questions or feedback, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach us by email at info at emotionalintelligence.com or connect with us on social media by using the links in the show notes. Music